Um, Always best to start a podcast with a long um. <laughs> oh, a giggle. Yes. Welcome to Private Practice Podcast. Hello I to the listen. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> so three years of practice and you still... You, you can't... You don't pause for anyone to say anything else. No, I just did pause, but I paused for slightly longer than was a natural pause. So therefore, understandably... You started to speak, only I hadn't finished my pause. So, welcome to Private Practice Podcast, pause. I'm James Hall. Hello to the listener, I'm Daniel P. Brown. (laughs) Private Practice Podcast. And since last week, there's been uh, quite a lot happening in the world, which we can keep very brief because A, this is not a news podcast, B, by the time people listen to this, it will have totally been annihilated from the news agenda. Mm Mm-hmm. And given the current state of society, news is just smoke disappearing into the atmosphere after about five minutes, let alone several months later. So since we last spoke, there has been terrorism in New Zealand. There has been mass protest in Algeria. There have been protests in Madrid. There has been a, another Brexit vote... What? What, uh, what? 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 So why are you saying these things with literally no context? The, you know the. the t- okay, because all, all of those th- all of those things that I've just listed are non-France things, but I'm in France, and uh, it's got to the point now where political demonstrations in France are so commonplace that they now happen simultaneously. Yesterday, reported allegedly, reportedly, three hundred and fifty thousand people protested against climate change, and simultaneously. 10,000 people smashed and burnt the Champs-Élysées, including the total uh, destruction of one of France's most famous restaurants. And so even though they were 10,000 versus 350,000, the 10,000 got all the attention because of all the smashing and burning, which is far more visually stimulating and newsworthy. What were they protesting? Uh, this is the ongoing four-month protests against basically everything the president stands for. Oh, what does he stand for? Well, without going into any... I'll just keep it snippet-like. Um, he is considered to be the president of the rich. Ugh. <laughs> uh, so yesterday, I went along to one of the protests... Uh, which was the bigger but peaceful protest for the environment. And it was basically just a big street party. Someone quite accurately had a placard that said, a protest for the environment led by a diesel truck. And sure enough, there were diesel trucks with mega sound systems on them and loads of people just dancing to save the planet. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile, on the other side of the city, 
there were far fewer people, but with far more uh, savvy to smash up the most famous street in the country. And I did... So today, this morning, um, I went to the Champs-Élysées and had a look at all the burnt, smashed up... Uh, I can't even think of luxury brands, but you know what they are. And they were all burnt and smashed up. Uh, and there were loads of journalists with cameras and microphones there. And mm. I briefly mm-hmm. pondered the ethics of destruction of vandalism tourism, which is what I was basically partaking in, taking pictures of the destruction. Like rubbernecking. Yes. Do you have anything to say about vandalism, tourism and news hype? Mm. I mean, to be honest, I don't really... Um, I definitely don't watch the news on television. I don't listen to it on the radio. I don't read newspapers. I mean, it's not because I, I just don't have a lot of faith that anything's reported accurately um, or that the true causes of anything are, can be reported accurately. So I think everything's just twisted to fit whatever purpose, you know, the BBC or Rupert Murdoch or whoever that decides at the time. And, uh, and it's generally about money or some kind of, you know, like a uh, veiled attempt to support some politician. But then I don't even believe that the politicians are completely genuine about what they're doing anyway. So I just think it's a load of bollocks. What's the point? You know, what's the point? Yeah, so going and taking some photos of smashed up shit's cool. Good for you, mate. Are they on your are they, are they on your Instagram feed? Yes. Did you walk up to any of the journalists and say, Hello, I'm James C. Hall. You may know me or may not know me from the Private Practice Podcast. Would you like to know what I think of this vandalism dans le um arc <laughs> dans le um, matin après le riot you know if i had done that firstly i would get the initial of my middle name correct and secondly i would state that i am james hall of the private practice podcast because it, it doesn't matter if i'm important or not i can just create a situation where i am in that moment for mm, fun yeah. so i would do that yeah, because yeah. that would be the most fun thing to do and i still live my life thinking about the most important aspects of the day that give me the most pleasure i.e where i'm going to go in paris to get my divine croissant and which type of savage mia's jam i'm going to spread on it Yes, yes. The, so I've managed to keep a, I've managed to maintain a sense of yes, perspective yes. throughout all the chaos. The is it is it is the is the small accessible luxuries to whatever you know uh, means you're able to live in. It is those small accessible luxuries that give us that that motivation to just keep going through the the slog of the stress of the of the media. Uh, bombardment of shit that we start. But let me tell you that if the Gilets Jaunes burn down my favourite boulangerie in Paris, mm. oh, that will be a game changer. There will be hell to pay. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You, you do not want to get on the wrong side of a a seventeen foot English giraffe with with a with a penchant for. Pan au chocolat. The theme of today's podcast, and I have all the notes. The notes say, next episode, CBT versus psychoanalysis. Fight! <laughs> <laughs> um, 
This is the bit where I think you just start telling me things that you've read this week about CBT versus... <laughs> Versus... Well, that's why. That's why I was reluctant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, like, as as I've been trying to do over the last few weeks, and I'm sure you're on board with it, although I'm not quite sure that you're you're quite there yet. Is we're trying to talk to the listener about issues around mental health, psychological um, questions that we ask ourselves, distress, calm, peacefulness, and we're trying to make the topics more relevant to the uh, listener. Um, and one of the things that you'll hear a lot of, especially in Britain, maybe not so much in France um, and elsewhere, but is cognitive behavioural therapy, the uh, now easily accessible and free um, basic um, uh, six to 12 sessions you can access via the NHS across Britain, uh, usually by self-referring yourself for things like depression, anxiety, workplace stress, breakup of a relationship, loss, a bit of trauma, not the really bad trauma, just a little bit of trauma, uh, panic attacks um, and low mood. And you can access cognitive behavioural therapy known as CBT um, quite easily now. And so like you'll hear, you'll hear this a lot, especially if you read the Sunday Times, people will always be talking about Oh, uh, so I tried my six courses of um, cognitive behavioural therapy because recently I haven't been feeling like I'm achieving my life goals and I was able to make a complete turnaround. So we were going to talk about CBT because you brought it up in the fir- in a previous episode. And, yeah, um, that's what I was just about to say. The reason this came up is because uh, I briefly alluded to an interview with Russell Brand and John Ronson in which John Ronson said that he uh, tried to solve his depression by initiating some Freudian style psychotherapy lying on the couch and diving into his childhood he found it totally ineffective and when he switched to cognitive behavioral therapy uh, he saw immediate results and that's what he wanted he said he didn't want to spend years diving into his childhood whilst the problem was still going on in the here and now he wanted to do this little life hack that immediately uh, gave him results that he could see and seemed like it was working and my reaction to that was I I'm not very good at blowing raspberries, do you want to blow a raspberry? <laughs> yes, exactly um, my feeling is that you are wallpapering over the cracks if you don't go back to the origins of your problems if you just look at your behaviour recognize it and try to change the patterns by looking no further than what you did yesterday and how to not do that tomorrow then you will keep having the instinct and the urge to do what you did yesterday and you'll spend the rest of your life having to wallpaper over those cracks because they'll keep appearing and um, what and what what are you basing that on what are you what you like an assumption (laughs) (laughs) personal experience what i uh turn to for everything because i am a human right so what you're so you didn't like the idea i mean so john ronson well-known author of um um What's the psychopath book? I quite enjoyed it. The psychopath test, is it that yeah, one? Yeah, something like that. But it was good. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, well-known author got depressed. Did he tell you why he was depressed? Did he tell you anything about that, or did he just say he had CBT after trying? A... Did he even say how many sessions of psychoanalysis he tried? Possibly, but not very much. I mean, considering that psychoanalysis can go on for 
a decade. He was doing it for a few weeks or months or something mm. like that. I think Oliver Sacks, my hero, and invariably one day your hero when you catch up, James. Uh, I think he was in the psychotherapy with the same therapist for about 50 years um, because it isn't, it isn't just about problem solving. If anything, it's very much not about problem solving. It's about exploring who you are as a person and how you became that person. So what it sounds like was John Ronson very much wanted to problem solve um, depression. Now, depression means lots of different things to different people. But, you know, clinically, depression is an ongoing period of a low mood, generally with negative thoughts, often with self-defeating thoughts. The more extreme end can be um, kind of suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, attempts on your own life, self-harm, a feeling, an ongoing feeling of hopelessness. And then there's also kind of very obvious um, behavioural changes. So um, not being able to enjoy the things that you'd usually enjoy, therefore not doing the things that you'd usually enjoy. Your diet might change your uh, coping mechanisms might become more unhealthy. So where you you might be someone who enjoyed a good jog twice a week, you might start drinking more, or uh, someone who is very sociable becomes um, more self-isolating. So depression is a very obviously negative experience, and you could understand why someone would want to change that quite quickly rather than explore over five or ten years why they're feeling like that. Um, well, I don't necessarily think that... It's either or, and uh, it kind of seems like it would be fun to set up this podcast as if a boxing ring. In the blue corner, Daniel P. Brown representing cognitive behavioural therapy. In the red corner, James Hall representing Freudian psychoanalysis, and then we just punch each other for an hour until... Um, or no, we just punch each other for a minute until my phobia of blood means that I go... Ah! jump out of the court and you win um, um but then but you, I, you're setting us up there a you know nothing really about either because you haven't actually experienced either kind of therapy no that's not true <laughs> i had i had cognitive behavioral therapy for the six nhs oh, sessions yes. back in whatever year it was so i've experienced one of them in professional therapy Good. and the other one yes. I have not had i've not been on the couch with a professional therapist i've merely listened to hours and hours of people talking about it and used the theories to try and understand uh what there may be in my childhood and my development that could inform the way i behave now so doing it myself means that there isn't necessarily an outside perspective other than you, because I share all this on the Private Practice podcast and you tell me that everyone is just like that and <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not special. Yeah, you're very brave, James, to share this all with the listener. But, OK, so w- w- what are you thinking about these two things? So you've got the CBT, John Ronson didn't... didn't... Well, did, let's just... We haven't said what they are, really. So... Um, I, shall I start with Sigmund Freud, born 6th of May, 1856? Um, sorry, that sounds just preposterous the way I said it. <laughs> um, the reason that we are... Uh, the, oh, the, sorry, the reason that I am using Sigmund Freud is because he pretty much invented psychoanalysis. That's not to say that he is the only person who has ever talked about psychoanalysis, nor that he is 
the deity and his word is gospel. And also one thing I find slightly frustrating is that um, is when people find some aspect of a person they don't like and therefore discredit everything that that person says. So Sigmund Freud was very much part of the time, in a sense. Uh, he, w- I mean, he was of his time, so he didn't know everything that we know now. And... Um, Will you just keep making those scratching noises? You can get rid of them later. I'm just going to, like, earmark, no, bookmarks and pages to come back to in the, uh, in our favourite James Drever 1970-something dictionary of psychology. You carry on. You didn't need to stop talking, did you? He was also critical of religion, and so it's easy to therefore think, well, I am religious, therefore I discredit his teachings because... Uh, he is dismissive of something that is very powerful and meaningful to me. But that's to... I mean, you could, you you would basically have to discredit everyone in history who ever said anything because the chances are they did something or believed in something or didn't believe in something that is not totally 100% in accordance with your own prerogative. So I would like to take Sigmund Freud in his historical significance as being considered the founder of psychoanalysis. I like it. uh, Which means looking at unconscious drivers to understand behaviour. The aim of psychoanalysis therapy is to make the unconscious conscious, which is not the same as looking at patterns of behaviour in the present and trying to break them with nothing more than an awareness that they exist and that they are problematic. Is that what CBT is, or... Is there more to CBT? Sorry, say that again, you fucking what? Say that again. (laughs) Well, if psychoanalysis is the process of making the unconscious conscious, that is different to looking at behaviour in the here and now and trying to stop repeating patterns in the future, looking only at the present and not going back to the causes. No, there's definitely a misconstruction there. Uh, Sorry, there's definitely a misconstruction, misinterpretation there. So cognitive behavioural therapy versus psychoanalysis. In cognitive behavioural therapy, you will identify some of the experiences you've had in your life that might have begun to influence your thought patterns, your cognitions. And it will look at your in the here and now behaviours and about how that influences your thinking. It would also look at how you're feeling in the moment and how that influences your thinking. And it will look like at this sort of triangle or these three sets of symptoms or ideas, thoughts, feelings, actions, thoughts, feelings, behaviours, thoughts, feelings, actions, and how how they interact with each other. So the first session with a cognitive behavioural therapist would often be making up what they call a formulation and a formulation would often have a okay when I was young I was very shy or when I was young I was often told that I was not working hard enough or when I was young I didn't do well in school or I never recovered from a very difficult um, breakup in a relationship how has that left you feeling or what are the thoughts that's left you with Okay, now how does that affect your behaviour in the here and now? How does that behaviour 
feed back into a loop or reinforce your thinking? How does your thinking then reinforce a behaviour? How does the behaviour... It's about reinforcing the thinking. The negative, unhealthy or distressing thoughts, feelings and behaviour that leads to a distressed condition, a condition that could be seen as a mental health or a psychological problem, not always necessarily a fully-blown psychiatric diagnosable condition, but really that is what it's looking to try and help or trying to avoid a a, a longer-term psychiatric condition. But, of course, it is used in all kinds of diagnosable psychiatric conditions. So if you look at it, depression is the most common thing that people would receive CBT for because there's lots of research done into how effective it is in changing unhelpful um, distressing thinking patterns and behaviours which reinforce the feelings which are often at the root cause of depression. Is so that... therefore the difference between CBT and Freudian lying back on the couch psychoanalysis that goes on for years and years is that whilst it's not true to say CBT is only looking in the here and now, it does look back at life events to see how they influence the here and now it doesn't necessarily go all the way back to childhood mm. and parental influence no no it, no it's no it's just in the within the formulation within the formulation it, it's a session one or two i mean with very complex cbt and more longer term cbt they might spend a, a few weeks or even a month coming up with the formulation and you might put a whole list of things that influence your modern so your here and now your 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 re- your relevant condition that you're there to change you're going in to activate behavioral change which will help emotional change which will help um cognitive change or or those three things are to be changed. Going into psychotherapy, although you may well go in with a whole set of problems, the psychotherapist, in effect, isn't looking to solve those problems for you. It's looking to explore how they have arisen in you and different ways of thinking about them and different ways of... I don't see the difference. Because if you're going into CBT and you want a practical solution to your current problem you look at the cause of the problem and you try and see how that's relevant to your behavior in order to change it so you could describe that in a more literary way as interpreting your personality and your behavior and thinking more about it and trying to get to a deeper level of understanding but I don't see why I don't see practically what the difference is between lying on the couch and talking about your childhood and your parents and sitting upright and saying I had a breakup last year and now I don't wash myself because I don't feel like I'm sexually attractive please help me with this real problem so that it's solved soon All right okay so initially you you you've like like the the differences on one level are subtle and on another level they're 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 really not firstly you you don't lie back and just talk in a cbt session you would be sitting often with a psychologist or a mental health nurse trained in cbt you'll be sitting up with them there will be a table there will be pen and paper you will be talking to each other and you will be trying to formulate the problems as they are in the here and now you do not do that in psychotherapy. 
for six months, you may well sit there and the therapist says next to nothing to you. There's no paper, there's no pens. In true psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, you might be sitting on the couch two, three, four, even five times a week. You shouldn't be, or in classic Freudian therapy, you don't look at your therapist. They're sitting behind you or sitting in the corner and you're lying back on the classic chaise longue um, or a bed or a comfy sofa. You're reclined, you're not looking at your therapist. There's no actual conversational interaction, at least for the first few sessions, you know, once 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 you've settled in, it's not like that. It's not a conversation. It's not what's the problem. There is no formulation. That's just the first few. That's the first few differences. What you are trying to do in CBT is come up with a logical, on paper way, using different um, standardized techniques, using different formulas, using different um, manualized treatment. So, you know, you could get this book. There's a classic one that I got in the early noughties, which a lot of people found very useful. The Feeling Good Handbook um, by Dr. David Burns. It's like a complete guide to CBT. And and what you'll be given after your formulation is, so, OK, let's, let's have a think about a basic formulation. Let me see. Um, in fact, why would not use one of his, um, his formulations? Because I should have done that beforehand. Basically... Um, your one was really good. You know, um, I've, I, 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 I'm really struggling to make friends, um, so I don't go out as much. Um, I, I, I don't go out too often. I don't take care of myself. I feel really bad at my, myself. I'm not the kind of person who people want to get to know. Um, you know, th- these are the thoughts. I, I, don't, I don't like myself. I'm not attractive. I'm boring. People don't want to talk to me. Okay, what are the feelings? I feel sad, I feel lonely, I feel scared, I feel like I'm going to... Um, um, I feel angry sometimes, I feel tired, I feel exhausted. So what are the behaviours then associated with that? Well, I sorry, I don't go out, I don't introduce myself to people, I don't talk to people when they talk to me, I don't take good care of myself, I have, my hygiene's not as good as it used to be, I don't feed myself properly. You know, so if you went to a psychiatrist, you might describe this as depression, but a CBT therapist would go, oh, okay, so... Let's have a look. Where might that have come from? Oh, breakup of a relationship or actually um, I've just never had the opportunity to, you know, be in a intimate relationship or I had one once and that person was really nasty to me. So activating event, the behaviours are, you know, I don't talk to people, I don't go out, the thoughts about it are I don't like myself, I feel, feel bad, I'm not good enough. And the feelings are sadness, mood, mood, mood never lifts up, you never get excited. Never. There's these three sets of symptoms, thinking behaviors and feelings so so a cbt therapist goes okay let's put those on paper we've got three columns these are the thoughts these are the feelings these are the behaviors now let's have a look at the beliefs about this and they challenge them obviously that's in your thoughts okay so people don't like you then they'll ask you okay so let's put that in column one people don't like me where's your evidence to prove that people don't like me um oh, i don't have any friends at the moment Okay, well, do you have no friends? Okay, I've got one or two friends. So on column two, I have one or two friends. So, okay, so at the minute, and I'm, and I'm oversimplifying it here, column three. So how much, how much in percentage do you believe people don't like you to be true right now, here, today? Okay, well, I'd say at about 90%. And, and then why are you saying 90%? Oh, because I do have a couple of friends, and I know they like me. Okay, all right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to come up with a... A, a, a an activity between now and session two where I'm going to ask you as a therapist to go away 
And we're going to see if this statement in column one, people don't like me. And remember, there'll be a whole set of statements and feelings and thoughts that you're working with, not just one, but this is a, a basic outline. You're going to go away and you are, well, where are you working at the minute, James? Oh, I'm working in a school. Okay, so, so you get to meet other teachers? Yeah, I get to meet other teachers. All right, so what could you do to find out whether the other, any of the other teachers like you? Let's just start with one person because you're saying people don't like me. You 90% believe this because you've got a little bit of evidence to suggest you've got one or two friends. But then you could also probably, you know, in the therapy session go, yeah, but they only like me because they've known me forever. They only like me because I met them when I was in school. They only like me because they feel sorry for me. Okay, so, so James, you're going to be in school this week and there's other teachers that work there and there's the kids that work there. What could you do to see if any of them like you? How would you know whether during an interaction someone liked you? I'm asking you a question, James. How would I know? This is, uh, this is exactly what happened in my uh, CBT, although it was over a decade ago, so I'm st I would not be able to remember the exact questions. But I do remember that at the time, I found it simultaneously easy and difficult to answer the questions. And in this instance, how would I know if people like me or not? My immediate reaction is to say I don't know, which is probably what I said 10 years ago. And then the other person said, prompted me to say things. And then I said, thing, I said I gave the answer again, which was totally not I don't know. But this, I, I, do you see, this is just one of those questions that I, I don't know how to answer it. And then someone gives me someone guides me through answering it and then suddenly I can answer it. Yes, hello. So uh, that, yes, that's what CBT ha has that kind of n nurturing, guiding. The idea is that people with therapy, uh, with depression, sorry, in CBT have misguided, have, uh, um, have made assumptions. Uh, I, I can give you a few examples. So black and white thinking, uh, something is either all good or all bad. Everyone hates me. Does everyone hate you? Well, no, I have some friends. Okay, let, this week, let's go out and find out whether everyone hates you. At the minute, you believe that 90%. Okay, what I want you to do, your homework, that's the other difference with CBT and psychoanalysis, you have homework. Every single week, you'll only make behavioural and psychological change if you actually engage in the homework. You keep a mood diary, you keep a reflective diary, going, I was feeling like this today. This is why I was feeling like this. James, your hand's up. Uh, that was the thing that I absolutely hated. I specifically remembered my homework diary from Cognitive Behavioural Therapy and I can picture every bit of the scene. I won't go into the minutiae here, but I could describe the blades of grass in Hyde Park in Leeds, if you wanted me to go into every bit of the detail, when I met up with uh, some friends for a picnic after my first session and... I, as a, whatever I was, 19-year-old who thought I knew everything, uh, announced to everyone present who probably wasn't interested that NHS cognitive behavioural therapy was useless because all they'd given me was a sheet that said, how do I feel today? Happy face or sad face? And I said, well, this is like homework for primary school children. If I fill in sad face, they're going to think that I'm depressed. If I fill in happy face, they're going to think that I'm great and nothing's wrong. And I said, well, 
all I need to do is to think of what I want them to think about me in order to progress to the next stage that I want, which is I want them to think that I'm unhappy. So I'm just going to tick sad face, regardless of how I feel right now. And also, I wasn't very good at knowing how I felt anyway. I don't. How do you feel? I don't know would always be the honest answer. Uh, or, or rather, how do you feel? Fine, thank you would just be my catchphrase answer to anyone. Okay, so... Um, yes, so for some people, uh, a lot of the initial work, so the initial four to five sessions, may well be about starting to learning to recognise emotions. And I've got to be honest, I don't think that the, I don't think the general population do recognise the more subtle emotions or the. But just to just to clarify here, that did not happen for me. The only recognising of emotions has come from doing this podcast with you. My cognitive behavioural therapist did not get me to uh, recognise emotions. What did happen, though, was uh, the first week I went, I had someone who just sat there, asked me to tell them uh, what was wrong. I explained. She gave me the sheet, asking me to fill in my happy faces and sad faces for the week. And then um, she said, what day would be convenient for you to come every week, essentially, for the next six weeks? And I said, uh, Friday is best. And she said, oh, well, I'm not here on Fridays, but my colleague can see you on Fridays if you want. And I thought, well, I don't like you. So, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean this to sound harsh. I don't mean I didn't like her personality. I meant that I was not satisfied with that first session. So I thought, I've got nothing to lose to switch to another therapist. And I then found the other therapist to be very satisfactory. Uh, but... I interpreted the other therapist as being far more Freudian in a way, in the sense that she would ask me a very probing question and then just sit back and let me speak and then give a kind of informed intellectual perspective that contradicted the way I perceived that situation to have panned out. So, for example, she'd say to me, why do you think you don't, uh, connect with anyone why do you think why do you find it difficult to make friends and I would say well uh, this is what's wrong with everyone of my generation and this is all my experience of going from school to school and now that I'm in university in Leeds these are all the problems I've had and I don't like this I don't like that I don't like the other nothing's going right and she would just turn that back at me for with a not so much playing devil's advocate, but uh, giving me an informed interpretation that was different to my interpretation that made me stop and think, wow, this person is very intelligent. I am invested in her opinion. I will have a go at looking at my own life from her opinion. And I got that from you as well. When I first met you and you joked about uh, the idea that I might be autistic, I didn't behave in my well I mean I may have behaved in my usual style of giggling and turning it into a big old joke but I didn't behave in my uh, normal combative style of thinking uh, that you don't you as part of society don't understand me and how dare you label me as autistic and I will show you that I'm not autistic and in the process I will also try and earn points to prove to my father that I'm not a failure after the age of seven uh so i basically list i thought as soon as you said 
that I might be autistic, I immediately thought, oh, I've never thought about this before. And this incredibly intelligent person has just opened me up to an idea I've never thought about before. I'm going to dive into this and investigate it thoroughly and see exactly what he's noticed about me. And because it's all about me, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned a number of things there, obviously. As, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> as, I mean, I'm just halfway through explaining after you, you know, you ask the question, what's the, what's the real difference here between this psychoanalysis and this cognitive behavioral therapy? I came to this with only my vague recollection of what happened to me 10 years ago, which was not expa- explained to me as a theory. It was a, simply an experience in my life, which is now a decade old memory. Uh, and one, that is... one second, one second. I don't think you had CBT. I think perhaps the first lady was going to start with CBT. You definitely didn't have psychoanalysis because that the the initial sh- short-term intervention of challenging everything you said potentially could be, uh, you know, a different form of sort of more an analytical therapy, but it's not classic psychoanalysis at all. But... I don't think you had either. I think you had somewhere in between, which might be called integrative therapy or even just working with a psychologist. I'm not 100% sure, but I don't know that it was... Well, I hated the the idea that I was going to the NHS where there was an NHS-approved flowchart of how did you feel this week? If happy face, then diagnosis A and pills not prescribed. If unhappy face, then diagnosis B and pills prescribed and label stuck on your official NHS files forever. The end. That's how that was what I felt was going to happen when the first therapist produced her questionnaire and started ticking boxes and had the piece of paper and the pen. And I think for the subsequent six weeks, there was no, there, I never saw any questionnaire. There was no ticking boxes. I wasn't asked formulate questions. It, I had a discussion with someone every week. I, I wasn't lying back looking at the ceiling. I was sat up looking at her. But she responded to what I was saying with interpretation and she didn't go through a questionnaire. And I never, ever had specific things... I never had another piece of paper given to me that I remember to go away with. Yeah. I didn't have to okay, record okay. So, so, a new diary. No, so it wasn't CBT. Um, um, and CBT, it, it, the reason, one of the reasons why it works, because you're continuously, as a therapist and a client, working um, in collaboration to find evidence against the unhelpful thinking patterns. So what I was just starting to get into when, when you went off on was the different unhelpful thinking styles. So I've managed to bring them... We had black and white thinking. Yeah, we had all or nothing thinking, sometimes called black and white thinking. I'm not perfect. I have failed. I either do it right or I never do it at all. Overgeneralizing, seeing a pattern based on a single event um, or being overly broad in the conclusions we draw. Nothing good ever happens. Everything is always shit. Um, Mental filter, when you filter out all of the positive in your life and you, uh, you, know, you only see certain types of evidence to, um, to prove your kind of negative critical thought patterns. Um, Hold on, I'm confused. Is this, is this, are you just listing everything to do with black and white or have we moved on to... Can I, I want numbered. Num- one, okay. black and white one. thinking. What was, which one of those was one. two or are we still on one? One, all or nothing thinking. Two... Overgeneralizing, 
Seeing, okay, seeing a pattern one. based upon a single event or being overly broad in the conclusions you draw. Everything is always rubbish. Nobody likes me. Nothing good ever happens. Uh, I always fail. Number three, having a mental filter. Only paying attention to certain types of evidence that prove our negative or self-critical thoughts and feelings. Four, disqualifying the positive. Getting rid of any of the good in your mind, that any of the good things that happen or any of the good things you've achieved or done. Oh, that doesn't count. You know, all that was was like a B plus or, oh, no, that doesn't count. I'm, you know, I just helped that person because they were there or that doesn't count. That was just, you know, one job I had or one, you know. Um, Number five, jumping to conclusions. There are two types that there's mind reading and fortune telling. So jumping to conclusions is saying, oh, I know how this is going to end up, you know, or or, um, also the mind reading part is going, oh, James doesn't like me. James really doesn't like me. Even though, James, you haven't said, Dan, I don't like you. Or there's no, you know, you're just jumping. Anyway, six, magnification, uh, catastrophizing is another way of putting it. Always assuming that the worst outcome is going to happen. Emotional reasoning, because you're feeling something, then it must be true. Um, I feel ashamed, so I must be, I must be wrong. You know, um, should and should not statements, this is number... Uh, uh, eight. So seven was emotional reasoning, James. Sorry, I forgot the seven. Um, you know, I must do this. I should do this. I mustn't do that. You know, giving yourself rules. Um, uh, nine, labelling. I'm a loser. I'm completely useless. Or they're such an idiot. They always do things to piss me off. They're a fucking twat. <laughs> and then uh, the last one, number ten. Uh, and this is from psychologytools.org, by the way. Uh, Personalisation. This is my fault. Blaming yourself or taking responsibility for something that wasn't completely your fault. And, can, and are those the basis of CBT? They're the basis of unhelp. They're, they're the, the, the basic um, categories of unhelpful thinking styles that CBT will try and unravel using paper and pen, um, various different kind of... Uh, repeatable, challengeable, evidence-based, and evidence-based as in they've been researched and they work for people, but also you're using evidence from going away and doing your homework and experimenting. So when I was asking you, how could you find out whether people in school liked you, you could say, oh, I could talk to them. Okay, James, so you could talk to them. All right, this week you're going to go to school and you, you have to keep a diary of what you do, but you have to talk to five new people. You've got to start up a conversation with them and you've got to find something about them, maybe, that you find interesting. Oh, I notice you've been teaching here for a long time. Uh, you know, someone told me that you'd been here for three years. You know, why do you, you know, why do you stay? Tell me about why it's so good here or, or what you like about it. Yeah, so you go away and you speak to those five people and you come back and the next week I go, right, did you do your homework? And obviously lots of people go, no. And then you obviously have to look at why you didn't do the homework because they're so certain that it's going to go wrong. But the people that do go and do the homework, they've spoken to five people. And you can go, okay, now let's look at your initial statement. People don't like me. Everyone hates me. And you believe this 90%. Okay, let's look at the homework. What happened? You spoke to five people. 
Did you manage to talk to all of them? Well, no, one of them was a bit rude to me. Okay, what about the other four? Yeah, two of them we got on with them and I spoke to them for like 25 minutes. And third one, I'm actually going to go on and they're doing bowling this weekend. You know, this is an ideal world, obviously, because with you, James, <laughs> no one would have spoken to you. And you'd have come back with, you'd be like, 100% people don't like me. And it would have been true. So we would have moved on to something else. Like, how do you live alone with no friends in the world? Anyway. <laughs> but, no, I'm going to interrupt you then. <laughs> given, given that that was just a character assassination. Um, I, from going through those 10 things, we definitely uh, went into that material in my six sessions. It was just not with specific... Uh, prescribed questions and I didn't specifically have to keep diaries and things. I was asked to uh, try a different way of seeing the people I lived with and the people I met at university and the people I worked with because I just started a job. That's the, 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 the problem with uh, me referring back to my six weeks on NHS therapy is not just that it was 10 years ago but it's also that it coincided with me moving into a new house with new housemates who I really liked which was in total contrast to my first two years at university where um, I didn't have much to do with the people I lived with and kept moving from one place to the next. Secondly starting a job for the first time uh, which was very social and put me in social situations where I didn't have to make them happen. So whilst that wasn't necessarily a good solution for me becoming more able to create social situations, at least I was having them as opposed to not having them and thinking, why don't I have them? And thirdly, I was doing student radio, which was an excellent output for me to make everything... Uh, to, you know, create my megalomaniac child's dream media empire mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so all those three things happened simultaneously to me having nhs therapy and so each time i went to talk to my therapist i would usually have a story to say along the lines of uh oh i found this week i was invited to a social thing with the people i work with and I realised that maybe they didn't just instantly reject me. So I'm, again, I'm oversimplifying. So this would be a, whatever it was, half hour, hour long session where we discussed this. But I felt like it was just, um, I felt like she was in, incredibly intelligent and informed and able to ask me the right questions to get this out of me and to steer me towards thinking differently. But I didn't, feel like she was following a pattern it might be that she was following a pattern and she was just better at disguising that and at making it seem like it was a conversation rather than a prescriptive uh formulae that had been theorized and that worked uh, uh, i found wait that, wait wait that she was very useful wait but you didn't have any homework you that you there wasn't any set ways of challenging outside of the therapy room like by uh, what, what do they call it um you know like uh, exposure therapy, behavioural activation, um, uh, thought activation, like trying to activate those horrible, difficult feelings you have by putting yourself into the situations that have brought about these feelings. Like, um, 
you can't go on a date if you never ask anyone out. I mean, obviously someone might ask you out, but like, you know, it, it, it's less likely if you don't ask people out on dates, you're not going to go on a date. So you say, oh, no one ever wants to go out with me. And the therapist goes, okay, well, this week you're going to ask out who in, you know, who that you know do you kind of find attractive? Why don't you ask them out for a coffee? And then you ask the person out for a coffee and either they say yes or no. And then you challenge that, what happened there? But if you, the, the, the activation is like, we're going to get that feeling and we're going to make you do something about it rather than you just sitting on your own, stewing on those thoughts and those feelings. We're going to do something about it. We're going to challenge in it. We're going to find evidence both for and against. And then we're going to look at that evidence and see if we can challenge that. And we're going to see if we can change your belief structure about, you know, those, you know, things like the core beliefs. Um, um, and we're going to try and unpick as well at the same time, you know, the, the tricks we're playing on ourselves. Oh, everything's either good or bad. You're either attractive or unattractive, not you know, finding finding the shades of grey, finding the in-between. But what didn't happen for me 10 years ago was going into those core beliefs and where they came from, which is what I currently believe to be uh, psychoanalysis as opposed to CBT. And so fast forward 10 years to now, it's only just now in the last 12 months or so that I've started to wonder about what I was trying to prove as a child that I might still be trying to prove without realizing it or uh what i wanted to achieve as a child that i might still be trying to achieve without realizing it that seemed totally irrelevant to me until the past year and was never certainly never explored either in the sessions that i had on the nhs or in any other part of my life whatsoever um i would also like to ask uh, specifically to do with CBT, does it recognise Freud's theory of the id, ego and superego? Partially take that with a pinch of salt or not consider it at all? Um, so this is the other thing. So cognitive behavioural therapy can be delivered on a number of different levels from... Uh, just using just using the the challenges in the room which it, it sounds like what your therapist probably did used those negative thinking patterns that she could see that you were using and provided evidence in the space by herself to challenge them because so it's um it's a short term therapy you know short intervention therapy um the kind of topics that you're talking about even in psychoanalysis it's the, it's the therapist that holds on to those topics. You don't t generally talk to the uh, the person in therapy about those concepts of Freud's, un, you know, the unconscious, the id, the ego, the superego. You don't... I mean, what does that mean, James? I was in therapy for eight years, and although, you know, those ideas came up from time to time because I was interested in them, I still don't fully grasp them. You can understand the unconscious, can't you? Well, what a time for me to suggest that I have some nice, neat, concise definitions in my notes ready prepared for this episode and now would be the perfect time for me to read from my notes. So are you ready for a little story? Once upon a time in a land far, far away, specifically Austria, although he may have come up with this in his North London house, I don't know, I've been to both of them and I don't know which one was the, um, the manger of the birth of the id, ego and superego Christ baby. 
<laughs> but in, in one of those two mangers, amongst the cows and the sheep and the gold, frankincense and mare, Freud gave birth to the world of the concept of the id, ego and superego, which are three aspects of the mind he believed to form a person's personality. Since we're not aware of our superego's rationale in the present, it's hard to manage it with, pra- with a sort of a practical life hack. They're, uh, hence, lying on the couch and talking about childhood and parents to seek the origins of the unconscious. The id, ego and superego are mostly in conflict and the most powerful wins. That's actually something that I wrote. I'm not quoting anyone and I didn't take that from any source. Okay, good. Uh, so I'll say it again and you can uh, challenge it if you want to. The id, ego and superego are mostly in conflict and the most powerful wins, said James Hall. On the 17th of March, 2019. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I, I don't really know what to say to that. Yeah, go go, okay, go well, for it, James. Why not? The id, according to Freud, is the part of the unconscious that seeks immediate pleasure. That one wins with me quite a lot of the time. The ego tries to balance pleasure and pain. It's a person's self, incorporating unconscious desires but taking into account ethical and cultural ideas in order to balance out the desires originating from the id. So although both the id and the ego are unconscious, the ego has close concept with perception and it's the function of self-preservation, which is why it has the ability to control the instinctual demands from the id. Yeah, something Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it makes sense. That's something that keeps us from... Uh just going out and raping and pillaging if we got the idea to rape and pillage, I guess. You know, like... And then this... You know, oh, sorry. I was just saying... You have something else to say about raping and pillaging? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like... So if, if you got the... Um, uh, the id, and it's got those animalistic drives, you know, to, to feed yourself, to fuck, to have some safety, to get stuff you need, to, like... Uh, you know, whatever your kinks or desires are to, like, fulfil them, then you've got your ego, which will be a bit like, whoa, hang on a second, I can't just go around, you know, dressing up people in school uniform and fucking them just because I want to. Yeah. <laughs> there is a social norm here. I need, to ma- I need to maintain my social standing. I need to maintain my uh, profession, whatever it might be, you know, doctor... Dentist, lawyer, school teacher. So I'm, I'm not going to do that in public. I'm going to do that in private, maybe. But and I'm going to be careful about how I do it and who I share that with. So that ego kind of like regulates, allows it, allows, but, but also regulates. regulates. Whereas the id would be like, fucking put the uniform on. I'm going to fuck you, and then I'm probably going to like eat dinner, and you can fuck off. And then perfectly timed we can introduce the superego uh, which according to Freud develops at four to five years of age which incorporates learnt morals and an example of that would be you are bad for wanting to have sex with people dressed up and therefore you're filthy and like I said last week no amount of cleaning will ever clean you and you might, in that situation, picture your father looking down on you as a disappointment. And you have turned into a reprehensible, immoral, unethical human being who has these filthy, disgusting urges. And a good example of that is gays who hate themselves for being homosexuals and thinking of society or their father or any influence in their development 
Can I just pause you with, for one, with, one moment, though? Because with, no, with no, the opinion James, that homosexuality is oh, wrong and sake. that um, man and woman having baby and family and being Christian is right and therefore you are wrong and therefore you hate yourself and, and therefore for the rest of your life, unless you address that, you will constantly have problem, problematic behavioural patterns. Okay, but when you said the superego develops at, it sounded like you said 45 years old. Oh, sorry. What you meant was four to five years old, around about the age of four or five. Yeah? Okay, because I'm sitting there thinking, what? The fuck are you talking about, you idiot? Sorry, I'm very very sweary today, James. uh, Sorry about that. My... Super ego is on pause, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're these ideas which haven't been disproven, these different parts of your psyche, these different parts of your personality, these different parts of your conscious versus unconscious mind. And just as a simple reminder to the listener, the conscious mind is the stuff that we have like an obvious awareness of and the unconscious mind is, the, is, is not the tip of the iceberg. It is what is below the surface that we don't necessarily have access to. Psychoanalysis is trying to get us to tap into that by being in a very controlled, calm, safe environment with a person we learn to trust and slowly that stuff comes to the surface. The anger, the rage, the hate, the fear... But is CBT, I was on the edge of my seat with what you were saying, and then I thought you were about to spend the next five minutes coming up with every single possible way of discussing um, the subconscious. Whereas what I immediately want to know, what my id immediately wants for satisfaction right now is, does that concept apply to CBT like it applies to psychoanalysis? No, it doesn't. And why not? In simplified terms. In simplified terms, cognitive behavioural therapy comes from the behavioural school of psychology, which is that things are um, very basically um, learnt responses to stimulus. Um, The... The psychoanalytical school comes from the more... Uh, and it, it's not that they're completely separate, from more from the... Um, sorry, it's CBT, as in problem-solving technique for mental health issues, comes from the behavioural school, and psychoanalysis is a, just a completely different theoretical acad- academic school. I just don't understand why it's completely different, because you learn your behaviours in childhood that are problematic for the rest of your life, and then it seems to me what you're saying is CBT looks at those behaviours and comes up with logical solutions, whereas therapy, heaven forbid, wouldn't dis- say the names of the behaviours out loud for fear of being confused with that uh, trashy CBT. So the therapist sits in the corner, hmm, I will simply ponder this in my head and I will not intervene and thou shalt not look at thine and thine shall not look at thou we will simply have rows of books on the walls and flock wallpaper and lush velour in my divine therapy room and we shall ponder for ten years until we are saturated in ponderings and won't it be divine oh yes it will (laughs) but I think that what the 
Freudian therapist is doing there is simply not saying the subject, whereas the CBT therapist is saying the subject. And what the Freudian therapist is doing is aiming to get to the root. And the CBT therapist is maybe accidentally getting to the root or maybe not getting to the root and therefore being, in my opinion, ineffectual. Which brings us right back to my opinion at the beginning of the episode, which is that cognitive behavioural therapy is not as effectual as uh, Freudian psychoanalysis even though Freudian psychoanalysis takes a lot longer because you have to go much further back to come all the way back to the present again and essentially start doing cognitive behavioural therapy in the present with what you have learnt over the endless ponderings amidst the lush velour and flock wallpaper and books on the shelves. I mean, that's one way that you could look at it, but another way to look at it would be that if you are in... If, if you're if you're incredibly distressed about your own um, uh, the behaviours, the feelings, and the thoughts that you can make yourself aware of, and you can do something to change those to have a happier existence in the here and now and in the next twelve weeks, great. But that doesn't necessarily mean that none of those problems will come back, and it also doesn't mean that you'd be. Well, able- that's what I said at the beginning. But, yes, I'm just I'm just giving it a different way of thinking it rather than like some. I don't know, like weird little Britain version of what you're saying. <laughs> the, the, the therapy, so if you, if you went into an eight-year course of twice-weekly therapy to try and deal with your suicidality, you know, your suicidal thoughts and the belief you currently had about needing to end your existence, well, actually, that might not be that helpful. It might not give you what you need in time. But if you did a 12-week course of therapy, which could just chip away at that belief that you needed to die now and perhaps didn't look at the root cause of the problems in detail, you know, your attachment issues, your your uh, core belief of being worthless, you know. I mean, it could do it on, on a lighter level, but it wouldn't necessarily change that for good. And the people with more... more they want to go in more depth into their issues and their problems and their ideas and their relationships and how and how and how it relates to the here and now as well. They might have the time for that eight years, but if okay, you're... so wonderful in that in that case, then um, they are both valid, but I can now consider them differently as opposed to thinking CVT is wallpapering over the cracks and uh, traditional Freudian psychotherapy is the obvious informed and correct commitment. Um, I would agree that if someone is suicidal, if someone is having really damaging uh, patterns of behaviour on a daily basis that are uh, that are getting out of hand, it would be ridiculous to lie them back on a couch and say, how did you feel when your father didn't give you sweets 20 years ago or something like that? Because uh, it's a more urgent... That person is so much deeper into their problems and to have a fast-forward to get them out of that incredibly deep well of problems so that they're simply in a lighter trough of problems is the obvious sensible solution. But then when they are in that lighter trough... So going back to John Ronson, I don't, John Ronson wasn't necessarily in a deep well. Um, 
unless he was on the verge of suicide, I don't know, I wasn't there, but he wasn't necessarily um, jeopardising his whole life and that of everyone around him. So I still think that maybe it's fine that he had some cognitive behavioural therapy in order to feel good about making changes, but I think he is the sort of person, from what he was saying, that should, having had that cognitive behavioural therapy, now step away from it and go in go back into the Freudian psychoanalysis because to think that cognitive behavioural therapy is going to solve his problems uh, is to, like I say, warp over over the cracks. I think if he's constantly feeling depressed but it's not leading him to suicide and it, or poverty or crime, then and he has the time and the money to go into Freudian therapy, then I simply think he is wrong... Or I 90% believe that he is wrong to say cognitive behavioural therapy is right for him and Freudian psychoanalysis is wrong for him. I think, great, if you got something out of cognitive behavioural therapy and it's a fast forward to changing your patterns of behaviour, wonderful. Now go into Freudian therapy to try and work out what's really in your subconscious and driving your behaviour and causing these problems to come back. Mm. If you like, but it's not really about what you want for someone else, is it? Like, <laughs> and why not? <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I'm just because we're using because that interview irritated me, and I had an opinion about it. And he, John Ronson, was very opinionated. He, John Ronson didn't. He, I suppose he did talk about uh-huh. himself, but he kind of generalised. My takeaway from that interview was John Ronson said to me. Cognitive behavioural therapy, yes. Freudian psychoanalysis, no. If you like me, you will take my opinion on board. And I thought, no. And hence the making you do a blow a raspberry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so would, would you thought, like to know my opinions on it? Yes, I would. But before we hear your opinions on it, just in case there is still any doubt in the mind of the listener as to what the id, ego and superego is, instead of reading out my definitions, and partially just because I want, because I loved it so much hearing it from you and want to throw it back at you and let you hear oh, how shit. it sounds coming from me, um, I will use the example that you gave uh, to illustrate the id, ego and superego all in one go so that if anyone is still thinking, what were they going on about? I don't fully understand. I've always found it confusing. Here goes. Daniel P. Brown's id says to him, I want to dress up that twink as a schoolboy and really have a good old go at banging him. Then I'm going to eat junk food and I'm going to sleep and I'm going to send him away. The ego of Daniel P. Brown says, oh, you can't do that without being nice to him and asking him consent. And actually, it would be a nice thing to let him stay over, even though he might be a bit annoying and giggly and irritating the following day. So do the thing that you want to do if he allows it. And then because he allowed it, let him stay over. 
the superego is his is his fatherly voice booming down unto him. You are disgusting, Daniel P. Brown. You're a pervert. You are deranged, and you are sick and filthy for wanting to dress him up as a schoolboy. I mean, what's the difference really between that and paedophilia? Why don't you just kill yourself? And if you don't, remember that no amount of cleaning will ever clean up the filthy mess that is your life. I could not have put it better myself. So now, what is your opinion on the subject after everything that we've just said in contrast between CBT and Freudian psychoanalysis? Well, if we are using that ridiculous example that I gave and then you expanded on, for the fun of our listeners and for the fact that you know we are both gay and we're also talking at least to some gay listeners... Um, that was a really good example of the kind of the Freudian idea. So say I had gone into CBT therapy and... Um, wait, no, no, wait, what am I talking about? Yeah, say I had gone in when I was around 21 just thinking I'm a bad person. What do people think about me? Oh, people think awful things about me, which I did. That's what I went in. That was what I was aware of. I'm a bad person. I do bad things, you know, probably because I'm gay. I don't know. I'm a bad person. I do bad things. Let's not expand on it any more than that I'm a bad person I do bad things so I went to a CBT therapist a wonderful woman called Gillian who completely changed my outlook and my ability to feel like a bad person but deal with it in a different way I think I'm a bad person you know so I was telling her this I think I'm a bad person but what what do other people think of me maybe they think I'm a bad person and she gave me this one bit of advice we did homework we did the um behavioral activation I talked to friends I asked them what they thought of me just you know genuinely please tell me what you think of me what are my faults and what are my positives and negatives that's a really common technique you get to know your therapist and then they send you away and they say they they ask you to talk to five friends and you ask those friends to give three most positive traits of you and the three most negative traits of you and you bring come back and they put it in an envelope and you come back to the therapist with five envelopes with three positive traits and three negatives about Daniel P. Brown, and you open them and you talk to the therapist about them. And some of them are surprising and some of them aren't. But quite often the, neg- the negative things are things that actually you might even consider a kind of positive, so you have something to talk about. But So I went to her and I was worried about being a bad person, didn't really get quite to the bottom of that, but she helped me understand how to deal with the feeling of being a bad person, not the reason why I thought I was a bad person, not the superego stuff, not, you know, my father and his father and the church and Britain and the law. (laughs) Theresa May. (laughs) Destroying, well, not when I was 21, no. I know, um, what would it have been? Uh, William the Conqueror. (laughs) Anyway, let let me finish answering. So I went to CBT. I had six or 12 sessions with Gillian. She was incredible. But one of the things that she said to me, and if anyone asks me what's one of the best pieces of advice, this will often pop into my head. She said to me, Dan, no matter what anyone else thinks about you, it is none of your bloody business. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? It's none of my business. No matter what anyone thinks about you, James, what they think of you, it's none of your business. The thoughts that they have about you is none of your business. It's not your concern. It doesn't matter. You can't, you can't live your life trying to change what other people think about you. You can live by your own moral and ethical code. You can live by what you feel is right. You can learn and change and develop and adapt. But what people are fucking thinking about you is irrelevant. 
Learn, change, and adapt is key there. If you have a, an emotional code and it's problematic, there is nothing to stop you from changing that. Absolutely. So she taught me that, although it was very difficult, and I had to remind myself probably 5,000 times over five years between when I was 23, 24, whatever it was, and a bit, I was a bit older than 21, 23, 24, uh, that it doesn't matter what, Simon or Chris or James or my mum or my brother, it doesn't matter what they think about me. Like Their thoughts on me are irrelevant and it's none of my business. It's none of my business what they think. And that made a huge difference. But however, when I went into psychoanalytical psychotherapy and I sat on the couch and I, I lay back for, I think, two years, we did kind of face-to-face -face once a week and six years, twice you know on the couch lying back looking at the ceiling going um what's coming into my head whatever that got to that super ego stuff where i had internalized voices of um criticism and and destruction and and damnation and rage and and appalling heartache and and it got to that it brought them out and I, I verbalized those, not necessarily knowing. And occasionally the, my fantastic therapist would ask me the question, you know, I wonder where that came from. I, I mean, I've just, I've just listened to you for 20 minutes, Dan, and you, it, it felt, I felt so sad as you were talking. I felt really upset for you. I felt like I wanted to take care of you or something like that. And I would be like, huh? But I was just saying what a fucking awful person I was. And I'd go away and then six weeks later we'd be carrying on this same conversation. And I'd say, well, actually, Sarah, I remember when you said, um, you know, that you really wanted to take care of me when I was actually just describing to you what a nasty bastard I was. And the power of someone who I have no knowledge of or really understand other than gave me that time each week not trying to change my thoughts for me. She just gave me a reaction to this awful, terrible thing I'd probably said about myself. It had such a huge impact that now I realise that that terrible, awful thing, whatever it was, is not... It's just, it's just a voice in my head that's trying to destroy me. And then, you know, over subsequent sessions, we looked at what that might be, where it might have come from. In CBT, you're not going to get that. But you might, each time that voice goes, Dan you don't deserve to live. I might in CBT learn to go, oh, that's that negative voice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't like, well, that negative voice isn't necessarily true, but it doesn't necessarily get rid of that negative voice. But it will go, ah, that's a distorted uh, thinking pattern. That is an unhelpful thinking style. That is me discounting the positive. Remember, I also managed to qualify as a nurse whilst being a complete crackhead, you know? So there's two completely different uses for these therapies. Some people will find that the concept of sitting and lying back and having no structure to a session is painful, frightening, worrying, and completely useless. And some people will find that being told to write a smiley face seven times a day to say how you're feeling and rate your mood out of 100 and work out whether it changes over six weeks is completely useless. But for me, both are incredibly useful and incredibly helpful, especially depending on the relationship you have with the therapist. and So they can both hold hands and be friends. And I would suggest that cognitive behavioural therapy... Well, I mean, I wouldn't suggest. I can't see how it would be the other way around. Cognitive behavioural therapy probably comes first. And then 
uh, Freudian analysis comes second if you want it, which you should, because that is the divine opinion of James <laughs> Yeah, and it's brilliant. Um, but obviously, <laughs> it's obviously generally very expensive as well. Um, although you can get both of these as low-cost treatments, you wouldn't be able to get... Um, psychoanalysis generally for free on the nhs it, 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 you'd have to have seriously um well no you wouldn't be able to get it free on the nhs however you would be able to get something called dialectical behavioral therapy which is an offshoot of psychoanalysis that uses techniques or mentalization mbt mentalization based uh, um therapy or various different therapies that have developed with a CBT idea in mind of having a structure and a set amount of sessions, but with the concepts of uh, psychoanalysis in the background. And perhaps next time we should look at DBT and MBT, which are totally fascinating topics that I don't know enough about, but I have witnessed sessions and had some training in them. I'm feeling very pleased with my behaviour this <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I think I managed to uh, talk for half the session as opposed to about 75% of it. I think that when you were speaking, I sat back and listened and responded to what you said as, a mo as opposed to moving on to the next thing I wanted to say. I think I had some things to read out from uh, my notes, but didn't just boringly read out too much stuff like I was trying to be uh serious nor did i have no notes and was totally anarchic and chaotic using nothing but my mind to shout and giggle at the same time i didn't censor my humorous instinct and was happy to make jokes and be a little bit silly where appropriate to make this more entertaining than if i was just reading from books written by freud and melanie klein and so on so all in all, can I have a star, please? Because now that I'm a teacher and I teach six, seven and eight year olds, and if they're really well behaved in a class, I give them a nice hand drawn star and I colour it in. So please, can I have one for my behaviour today? James, you can have two. <laughs> um, I didn't mention this at the start. So this is the first full week just gone since the last time we recorded where I have been teaching children French children in Paris every single day and I made one of those only one of those children cry at least uh, in the time I spent with them only one of them cried I don't know if any of them went home and subsequently cried but the boy who cried was basically not doing anything I asked him to do was messing around was constantly a distraction in the class didn't answer any questions, even like if I sort of made the ah sound and said, this word is jam. We use the short ah sound. Can you say after me, jam? He would be silent and would not even be able to repeat the word jam. And then he would be throwing things around and, trying, and grabbing the other child's stuff and so on. And he moved from the green behavioural tear to the orange and into the red and when he was in red that meant he had to go upstairs and spend 10 or 15 minutes sat quietly in the head teacher's office and as I was guiding him up the stairs he suddenly realised that he was being told off and that he had behaved badly and his whole face dropped and he burst into tears and he stopped on the stairs and um, my initial reaction was to put my arm around him and tell him everything was going to be all right, but to make sure that he still went up to the head teacher and not take him back down because otherwise he'd 
he'd learn that if he just cries, he gets what he wants. And ten minutes later, when he was sent back into the class, he was a completely different child. He engaged in the game. Wait, wait, wait. He answered all the questions. Wait, a completely different child came back. He came back into the class... He played the game that we were playing. He answered all the questions. He got most of the answers right. And he was giggling along when he was getting the answers right and appropriately getting disruptive when he got them wrong, but in a kind of, oh, I really want to win this game as opposed to I'm not listening and I just want to be disruptive. And at the end, he got a star. And the head teacher told me um, that uh this child might be on the autistic spectrum so obviously he is now my favorite and i have elevated him in my mind to superhuman status and i look forward to his company again in the coming week and i bet he will start to look forward to yours now i just wanted to say i'm I'm actually really proud of you and everything you're doing over there and and i think it's really fantastic that that you're you're really starting to make um connections with the kids in a positive way what i do want to wrap the session up with though is say if you do uh, if you are interested if you do need as a listener to talk to someone and want to speak to someone please do just google nhs free cognitive behavioral therapy or nhs iapt which is i-a-p-t and although james hates it it means improving access to psychological (laughs) therapies Free CBT, everyone in a borough in Britain pretty much will have access to a phone consultation and to be put on a short waiting list to be able to get therapy for obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, phobias, eating disorders, um, up to a certain point, um, as well as things like chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, depression, anxiety, and, and CBT can help with all of those conditions. Google NHS choices, look up CBT, speak to your GP. It's totally accessible. And actually, even if your first experience of it isn't that great, it will at least introduce you to the kind of ideas you can get to, you know, you can use to get help. You just said phobia. And at some point, we are definitely going to come onto the subject of phobia because for the past six months, I have been carrying around this book, which I'm holding up for Dan to look at. Oh, yeah called phobia which has got a picture of a massive tarantula climbing over someone's face towards their eye i haven't read it yet uh fortunately we're not going to be doing it for next week's episode because i don't have time in the coming week to read it but within the coming weeks we will have a look at phobia so from chaotic anarchic smashy fiery paris it's goodbye from james hall of the private practice podcast and from the calm of the eco village in which i live in london it's goodbye from daniel p brown of the private practice podcast (laughs) it's a wonderful story